values, and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for spending some time with the show. Uh, Mexico is safer than the U.S. This is according to the president of Mexico. Here is a translation of that comment. He made this comment to reporters yesterday. Mexico is safer than the United States. There's no problem with traveling safely around Mexico. President Obrador, who has threatened to urge Mexican-Americans not to vote for Republican candidates if they continue their criticism, rejected the U.S. official security warnings that depict that depict much of Mexico as a risky place to visit. Uh, you know, this issue now, this is a the, uh, the three legs of the stool. In the border. Uh, One is border security. The other is immigration. And the other is finance and trade. Uh, Mexico is a big part of the USMCA, obviously, all of North America and our trade agreement with Mexico. They are a huge trading partner for the U.S. They're a number one trading partner for Arizona. Their economy is dependent on us in many ways, and our economy is dependent on them in many ways. It's part of the relationship we've had for a long time. I have no idea why this president is doing this. There is no doubt, whatever the reasoning behind it, whatever happened, that in broad daylight – There were Americans, two Americans were murdered, and another one was injured out of the four that were traveling. They then were dragged away in a pickup truck. That happened in broad daylight on a busy street just south of the U.S. border. There's no doubt that that happened. There are three women that crossed the border and have gone missing. Their their families are still trying to find out where they are. There has been a standing order to make sure you're using reputable cab services when you go to Mexico. Now, again, the conversation about Mexico is a great one because it's a beautiful place. There is no doubt about that, that uh, having a stable, secure, prosperous Mexico is good for everybody in North America, but especially for the U.S. But for the president to say such an ignorant thing. And then threaten the American elections by saying we're going to tell Mexican-Americans. And I'll be honest. I know people by nature are not trusting of their government. I can't imagine that the Mexican president telling Mexican-Americans that might vote for a Republican. If you're a Democrat, you're not voting for a Republican anyway. But if you're someone that is on the fence about who to vote for, the Mexican president telling you not to vote for a Republican is not necessarily going to sway you. There's a reason why you've come to this country and become an American, that you're not listening to the government of Mexico. But this goes much deeper. What is in this relationship? What is going on in the investigation into the death of these and the wounding of another, the kidnapping of four, the murder of two, and the wounding of one? What is going to happen in that investigation? How much cooperation is the U.S. going to get? We know that we have FBI uh, agents that are stationed working out of the embassy. In Mexico City, and they're around that area. They may be deployed into Mexico from southern Texas if they're in that part of the state to perform this investigation. But you are basically an observer. The the Mexican authorities lead these investigations. What is this doing to the relationship between Mexico and um, 
and uh, the United States. Here's another. This is a KHOU um, about this press conference. This is just kind of a recap. In a press conference yesterday, he said that Mexico is safer than the United States and that the same kind of violent crime happens in both countries. But the cartel seems to get more headlines. He claims it's a campaign to prevent the development of his country. So it's not... Here's the issue, and and Americans have to take some responsibility. So I I continue to say that to make sure that it doesn't sound like I've got blinders on as a U.S. citizen. We've got to deal with our own issues in the U.S. We have to struggle with, we have to rationalize and struggle with as a nation that the majority of the fentanyl that's being brought into the U.S. is being brought in by other Americans. I mean, uh, we've got to wrestle with that. There's no getting around it, that Americans are poisoning other Americans for profit. It's happening. Um, we have to, as Americans, do that gut check and that moral compass check on that. There's no doubt. But we also understand that the cartels are the ones that are creating this poison and getting it to the U.S. and paying large sums of money to get it into the U.S. because they're making large sums of money from the commerce that's created. The human smuggling aspect of this, the horrible treatment. There was just a story the other day. They found another truckload of people, uh, many of them children, many of them died, and they just have no concern for human life. And the Mexican government is responsible for some of that when it's crossing borders. I guarantee you if an American street gang was committing murders in Mexico, that they would want the American government to hold those people accountable. We are seeing a huge uptick in crime. But what is happening to the relationship between our country and Mexico when the president makes statements like this? He's he's picking sides. Even if he said, "I, I would stop them from electing Democrats, what you're doing is you're saying you're going to, if you don't stop saying what I want you to stop saying, if you don't stop saying it, I'm going to try to influence your elections. And to say that this is somehow a ploy by the Americans to stop development in Mexico. Development in Mexico only helps America. A stable, prosperous Mexico is good for the United States. Wealthy Mexican citizens that spend money on American goods or come to America, good for American tourism and exports. Arizona is a big example of that. I have no idea why the Mexican president is doing this. None. It is a horrible public uh, uh, perception. It is, I think, foolish for him to say. But the acknowledgement, that doesn't mean that anybody thinks America is perfect. What we're talking about is that now American citizens, our children are our biggest asset. And I don't care how old they get. They're still our kids. College spring break and the recommendations stay out of there. If you're a parent with a college age kid who still was stubborn and said, I'm going to Mexico, it'll be fine. You're going to be biting your fingernails until they get back on the American side of the border. That doesn't mean that they're 100 percent safe in the U.S. That doesn't mean that Crime can't find them here. Doesn't mean that it doesn't happen. It does. The dangers in Mexico because of organized crime, and that's what a cartel is, they have got it down to a science. If you watched how they orchestrated what they did when those four were kidnapped and ended up two of them were killed, it this was a hit squad that practiced this. When you look at how police move, when you look at how a platoon of the military or a squad in the military moves and how they maneuver in a situation, they train and they train and they train 
and they train. So when it comes time for the real world, when it comes time for real life, that they are their their training kicks in. When the bullets start flying, they're trained. This was not a haphazard uh, decision, at the, uh, you know, flying out the seat of your pants by the seat of your pants idea. This was an effort where they were coordinated and they knew what they were doing. And to watch the Mexican president now say that Mexico is safer than the U.S. and if the U.S. doesn't rescind its warnings to its people, he is going to tell Mexican Americans to vote for someone else is a foolhardy thing for this president to do. Because long after this danger passes, the memories of how he handled it will be there. And for the Americans, um, how you you know we're we have just as much patriotism in our country as the Mexican people do about their country. And if you're going to kill our countrymen, if you're going to allow that to happen in your country and you're not going to help us find out and bring to justice the people that did it, well, then you are going to be held accountable by the American people, at least in the court of of public opinion. And I don't want to see a diminished relationship by any means between America and Mexico. The connections are families, Mexican families, Mexican-American families still connected, travel, tourism, trade. And we've got to settle this. I just don't think he's going about it the right way. Coming up in a moment, it's a segment we call Did You Hear This? We do it every day at 11.20. We're going to get you caught up on the headlines in just a moment. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. All right, let's get caught up on the big news stories. Did you hear this? Did you hear this? Broomhead's reaction to the hottest news stories. New inflation data came out today, and we have a clearer idea on how inflation is impacting goods and services. Food, furniture, and recreation were all higher, but the cost of housing accounted for over 70% of last month's rise in prices. The Labor Department reports that natural gas and heating oil actually got cheaper last month. How is inflation affecting the Valley? I think it's affecting everything in housing. We are a destination. The desert southwest is where people are moving to anyway. We've seen a big push in our economy. We've got more and more people moving here. Uh, Bill moving through the legislature was just killed, I believe, that would have reduced regulation on zoning that would have made it easier to build affordable housing. I think that that is is the biggest hindrance to a a great economy here in the Valley. I think it's still going to be very good, but a great economy would be better housing prices so that people had more discretionary income. Until this gets settled, or at least it cools off, we're in for a big, long ride. President Biden has signed an executive order asking the Justice Department to clarify who is actually selling firearms and ensure that fewer guns are sold without background checks. Biden administration officials say many gun dealers who sell should be checking for criminal records, but aren't. Some don't realize they must. The president's order, though, will not get rid of private gun show sale loopholes that avoid those background checks. Should gun dealers be required to check for criminal records? No, I just think, again, this is there is a list that's out there. If you're a prohibited possessor, you are supposed to be on a list that the gun dealers use. We all, again, we are attacking this problem. It's frustrating to me because it is a problem. A 
gun violence, just like any other violence, is a big issue. If you want to be to reduce this and dramatically reduce gun violence, stop looking at people like me that go to gun dealers and buy firearms the legal way. Start looking at the people that are already not supposed to have guns, but do. What was the statistic from the D.C. police chief? A homicide suspect, on average, has been arrested 11 times before they committed a homicide. We have to start looking at this side of thing. That's a bigger solution and a better answer. You are listening to Did You Hear This? We do it every day to catch you up on the big headlines. President Biden announced the approval of the Willow Oil drilling project in Alaska, but we might not feel its effects for a while. The oil and gas won't come online for six to ten years. So that time period is one in which we need to be phasing down our use of fossil fuels, not increasing them. If the Willow Project is a long-term solution, what do we need now to lower our oil prices? I think that a lot of what can be done is about production at existing well sites, what is done with refining and making sure that the industry understands that if you spend the billions of dollars it's going to cost to revamp, fix, repair, and update your refineries, to update our refining capabilities, that you're going to have them for the long term to recoup the investment. That's a big part of it. The regulation is another part of it in other places where there is the possibility of having the results of these wells sooner. I think that all of this combined should have should have never started the way it is, but it should have ended rather quickly. I'm glad to see there's some movement, but again, six to ten years is a long, long time to wait. <laughs> Mexico's President Andres Manuel López Obrador gave a press conference yesterday about asking whether or not it is safe to travel to Mexico. Here is a recap of it. In a press conference yesterday, he said that Mexico is safer than the United States and that the same kind of violent crime happens in both countries, but the cartel seems to get more headlines. He claims it's a campaign to prevent the development of his country. What did you think about his remarks? It's ludicrous. The idea that America is not interested in a safe, prosperous, and growing Mexico is false. Our economies are tied together. In the USMCA, we're huge trading partners. We have American businesses that have manufacturing plants and other businesses down in Mexico. Just on the smallest scale of all here in Arizona, you've got so many people that own property down in Rocky Point. They own businesses in Rocky Point. There is a huge connection between the American people, not just the American government, the American people and the Mexican people. The idea that the American government does not want to see a growing, prosperous Mexico is false. What they don't want is a growing, prosperous cartel, and they want the government of Mexico to do something so that we aren't suffering the fallout from them. Acknowledging, and I want to make sure I acknowledge, we do have issues on our side of the border. We have to deal with the Americans that are working with the cartels. I think as Americans, we should focus on that. What are we going to do if you are caught working with the cartels as an American citizen? That would be a way to address some of the things that are happening too. Great job as always, Julia. That's Did You Hear This for another day. We'll do it again tomorrow at 1120. Uh, what we're going to do in a moment, and we uh, we talked about it a little bit as Julia brought it up in uh, Did You Hear This, is the economy. Inflation is reduced a little bit, but it still remains very high. But that's a national number. What are the local numbers on inflation? They're still extremely high. We're going to talk about why that is and what can be done about it next.
Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show. KTAR News, 92.3 FM and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks so much for being here. Appreciate you spending some time. Uh, this is a report um, f- from Wallet Hub. The cities where inflation is rising the most and tied for second on the list with an 8.5% inflation rate over last year is the Phoenix Mesa Scottsdale area, which is what we call the Valley. Number one is Tampa St. Petersburg, and then we are tied in second place with Philadelphia, Camden, and Wilmington, which is, you know, uh, that area of the Northeast. Behind that is is Detroit, and a pretty big, uh, when you look at some of this, a pretty big jump uh, downward from 85 to 7%. But a lot of this also has to do with the com- consumer price index change in the last month, and we are in a, we're just in one of those very bad positions. Um, San Diego may, is in the top 10, Dallas-Fort Worth, Riverside, San Bernardino, Houston rounds out the top 10 with the Woodland Sugarland area of Texas. Um, but the inflation is something we need to curb. Uh, this is what is heartbreaking to me, is when you look at this from a perspective of young people um, starting out. And what I mean by that is um, – when you have people that, you know, you enter the job market, and let's start there, people that are entering the workforce and and self-sufficiency. So it is young people that are moving out of their parents' house, they're graduating from college, or they're graduating from a trade school, or they're moving into the workforce, whatever it is, and then they find themselves trying to keep their heads financially above water. That's one aspect of this. The other aspect is how do you grow an economy when people have less and less discretionary income? That's always an issue for me. The government jumping in and lowering taxes, the subsidies for people that are poor at a local level, I think that we should be taking care of what I call widows and orphans. That's a biblical principle, but it's it's the people that can't take care of themselves. That's the issue. It's not the people that won't work. It's the people that can't work. I think that we are in a place in our society with the quality of life in America that we could do a much better job helping people that can't care for themselves. That's part of the issue with homelessness, I think, and the perception of homelessness. And I don't want to get too far down that road. But um, we look at homelessness, and it's, it's a multifaceted problem. There are people out there that circumstantially are homeless through bad decisions or whatever else it is, but it's people that would love to reverse their course and be back in a home and back as a contributing member of society. We have to separate those from the people that don't want help, whether it's people that are so deep in an addiction that they don't want to end the addiction. It's people that's got, that have mental health issues, um, whatever those other things are that get them and keep them homeless, which is why just saying homelessness is one big word. There's not just one approach that helps. But we've got to make sure that I believe, this is what I think we should do, through private organizations, through organizations, we talked to St. Vincent de Paul recently about what they're doing um, in conjunction with the city of Phoenix, is what they are doing is identifying people that want out of a homeless situation, getting them out of the the elements and into a shelter where they are working towards self-sufficiency. I think that that model works so well. 
When we look at what's going on in the economy and the way things are happening now, hunger, and we think hunger and homelessness go hand in hand, meaning that you're not hungry unless you're homeless. We know, and I've taught what we've had this conversation with people from St. Mary's Food Bank so very often, and United Food Bank and the others that do this work every single day. What they see largely, when you look at what St. Mary's does with emergency food boxes, what United Food Bank does with emergency food bags, is that they're feeding families that aren't able to make it between paychecks to feed their children, to feed themselves. So this is what inflation does to families. And it's been a long time for me, but I know that I know what that's like to have a, a, a finite amount of money realizing I have to make this payment. This has to be paid. So I have left over this much money for food for the week. And I've got to make sure I've got fuel in my vehicle to get to work. But this is what I've got for food this week. You know, there was a time we joked about this when we were uh, going to rodeos and stuff. We used to um, ha- we used to buy. It's so funny to talk about this. My buddy Luke and I, um, we were living in a ratty apartment. And uh, he was shoeing horses, and, and he was a bullfighter, rodeo clown, a bullfighter. And I was, you know, kicking around as an electrician and trying to be the rodeo cowboy, which I never was a very good one. But I remember us living in these ratty apartments, and we were eating the store brand macaroni and cheese for dinner every night. He had a three-year-old son who kind of loved it. We hated it. And sometimes we had milk and butter. Sometimes we had one and not the other. You learned how to have enough milk that it make it too soupy if you didn't have the butter and you you learn those things and um we laugh about it now um at the time it was horrible i mean we were eating this stuff five six nights a week for dinner just trying to get rolling you know and so i know what that's like and i think about young people that are in that position right now or even families that are not so young anymore that now find themselves because of the price of gasoline thinking you know it's macaroni and cheese for dinner it's going to be the store brand macaroni and cheese too as a matter of fact and it's going to be uh boiled hot dogs and and you know whatever and um What we can do, what we need to do is keep in mind that the economy is only strong, in my opinion. It is strong when the wealthy are creating jobs. I think that's a big part of it. But it's also when the working class feels as if they're getting ahead. They're maintaining. They're keeping their heads above water. They're buying a newer vehicle. They're able to feed their family. They're able to go out to dinner. They're able to tell their children yes. Yes, you can go to piano lessons. Yes, you can go to dance class. Yes, we're going to find a way so that you can go with your class to the trip to Washington, D.C. Yes, I can get you the cleats for Little League. It sounds so small, but those are the things that people strive for, you know, and and we've got to be able to say that. Um. And what you're seeing here in the valley is we still are choking families with the necessities. Families are financially strapped because um, of gas prices again, up about a dollar over a month ago, just under a dollar from a month ago. And housing prices remains extremely high. People cannot find rental properties, and when they do, they're priced out of the market. It's a scary, scary proposition. Um, so here's a this is Alex Stone from ABC talking about gas prices. Here's why gas prices are rising. 
Analysts say blame the coast-to-coast switch to more expensive blends of summer gasolines, which is getting underway. In the past week, the Energy Department reports the average price of regular unleaded went up seven cents to three forty-six a gallon. The cheapest gas is along the Gulf Coast still, but even it has seen prices go up eleven cents in the past week. And Californians are now paying on average four seventy-three a gallon for regular unleaded. I paid four nineteen. California's average is four seventy-three. Um, we are seeing a, a, this is just crippling to families. So I know I'm kind of beating a dead horse by talking about what the problem is, but if we are not, and and this is where I make my pitch, that if we are not looking around us and saying, I'm in a position where I can do something for someone else, um, if you are in a position where you can help, it's that intentional giving, it's the intentional helping, finding an organization where you can donate to, where you can, because I think this problem is best served, if not solved, it is best served by the local people doing things. Looking toward the government for solutions. I think there's things that can be done legislatively to ease the housing market with zoning and otherwise. But money and subsidies and a bunch of tax dollars thrown at something usually is a mistake. And I say it's a mistake with all due respect because it's not the government entities as well-intentioned as they are that that are trying to help with a problem. It's the boots on the ground that deal with it every single day that are the solution to the problem. And so when you or I find an organization or a group of organizations that we know are having a real effect on an issue, we can then support those if we're in a position to do it. So I would say to you, if you're in a position to help anyone right now, even a small amount, find one of those organizations and do it. Make sure that they understand that, you know, it's it's a group effort. You're doing the work. We will supply some of the resources and together we're going to try to ease some of this problem. When you see inflation this high, This is what you get. What you get is you get people that are going to fall through the cracks by no through no fault of their own, no fault of their own. We had had an interesting conversation earlier today about schools with a counselor about social emotional learning. Uh, We're going to talk about schools in that sense. We're also going to talk about crime before we close out the show. So stick around for that. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. We talk about security, and uh, school security comes to mind after we've we've witnessed, unfortunately, so many school shootings over time. And um, school security... Um, what what quality of schools that we have? We want a quality education. Are we going to see improvements? Are we going to get there? Um, we are going to see a different direction, I think, in, in at least in policy and in um, approach with the new governor. I don't know exactly what it's going to look like, but it will be different from the previous administration. But both sides of the political aisle are concerned that our schools are good. We had a conversation today with someone who was an advocate for social-emotional learning. She is a school counselor in Flagstaff in the elementary schools up there, and uh, she talks about how it help. It's helpful. Um, I was not convinced, and now, and so for, if you're new to the show, I hope you'll go back and listen to the interview on the podcast. Um, I would rather save my rebuttal in most cases to anybody's issues or to someone's comments for another segment of the show. Not because I don't want the confrontation, but because I want to give that person as much time as possible to make their points. And so that's what I did with this guest. Um, What I find interesting about this idea 
If you take a look at what the advocates for more spending in schools will tell you, they automatically go to the amount of money that's being spent on our schools. And they will say that per student, it's very inadequate and we're 48th in teacher pay and they, go, they talk about all of these things. Well, there's something you need to know about the money that's been allocated to schools. There's been huge increases. And, I, and again, I'm not saying it is or is not enough. I'm giving you facts. There has been huge amounts of money allocated to public schools during a Republican uh, administration under Governor Ducey when he was in office with Republican-led legislatures. So much so that in the last two years, including this school year, they were bumping up against an aggregate spending limitation. And so they had uh, to override this with a two-thirds majority, which they did two years in a row, to spend well over a billion dollars more than the Constitution allowed for um, in education in Arizona. Has that translated into dollars in the classroom? And the answer is very little. So what you need to know is that the districts live autonomously, that the districts decide how that money is chopped up and where it's spent, whether it's spent on maintenance, whether it is spent on management, whether it is spent on teachers, how it's spent on curriculum. So let me again, let's go back to where I started, where I said um, prioritization. And so you've got advocates for social emotional learning. Let's say that in their minds it is a very valuable program, uh, a curriculum. Um, is it as valuable as reading? Is it as valuable as math? Is one, even if let's say, let's say SEL enhances one or the other, statistics do not show that. That SEL, we've watched with the implementation of SEL, we've watched test scores continue to diminish. So are you putting it at the same level? The reason why I ask that question is these curriculums, they cost money. They cost money to buy. They cost money to train teachers. They cost money to implement. And it costs time in the classroom. So, again, I don't have to argue the merits of SEL um, other than I'm going to ask you, do you think it is at the same level of the others? And if the answer is no, why are we doing anything less than the core curriculum? And I'm going to go with your narrative. We all recognize there has been a fall off in the quality of education. We all agree in that. Some people blame it on COVID, but before COVID, it still was well under 50% of kids reading at grade level. Still under 50%. So let's go with your narrative that it's a dollar and cents thing. Why in the world are you prioritizing something else? Why aren't you spending every penny you have on the curriculum that promotes math, promotes reading, promotes science, though, and, and all of these other things as valuable as they might be, when you get more money in the classroom, then you can say we've got money for this. But I don't think that parents in large numbers, I don't think parents are going to go for these programs if they don't believe it's helpful to the kids in the core curriculum, because a lot of this stuff can be taught at home. How to behave, how to react, how relationships work, how you treat other people. Sounds to me like home. It doesn't sound to me like it's something that should be held in, in schools. And I'm still going to maintain that. But we'll continue to have the conversations. If you want to go back and hear the interview and all of our interviews, they're on the podcast at KTAR.com. I hope you'll go back and listen to them. If you're a social media user, now's the time that I pitch my social media. Mike Broomhead on Instagram is where you can find me. Keep in touch between shows. 
shows are on Twitter at Broomhead KTAR is my personal Twitter account. If you get a comment or see or read something, I said it. At Broomhead Show updates you on the things happening on the show, guests and otherwise. Please follow both of those. That's how you stay in touch with me between our shows. Our show begins a little bit after eight. I appreciate you spending part of your day here. I hope you'll do the same thing tomorrow and joining us and make a comment on social media. I'd love to hear from you. Maybe we'll read some of them on the air. Until tomorrow around 8 a.m., have a great day, everyone. God bless. We'll be right back.